0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Bring the Vegas gaming experience to the palm of your hand. Bet your favorite team, try your luck in a casino, or our poker room. The earliest sports lines and the biggest limits online. Lots of deposit options. Bet on live events as they happen. The next play, the next score. Get winnings fast or roll them into a parlay and win even more. Visit BetOnline today and see what millions of customers have experienced for over 20 years.
0: On third and three, they
1: protect
2: Brady.
0: Scans the field and lets it fly. It's Evans. It's a
2: touchdown. This is the big nasty. Yeah, big nasty. of fame Tempe Buccaneer fan, baby. This
1: is Mike Allstott, Tempe Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire
2: Podcast. Cannon Fire! brother you ain't listening and you missing out Woo! and they're the cannon, fire em. Keep on fire keep on fire
1: hello and welcome back ladies and gentlemen to a brand new edition of the cannon fire podcast i'm your host Rhett Matthew joined alongside me my good buddy and co-host from boxnation.com Mr. Evan Wanish and joining us as well ladies and gentlemen former quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, host and analyst over for the v Network, Sean King. Pleasure to have you back with us. Excited to dive into our topics this week. We're going to be talking a lot about this Buccaneers defense who have been in the hot seat since Sunday night. Uh, 41-31 to loss for Tampa Bay against Kansas City on Sunday night football. We were able to recap a lot of the game, but now we've had... A little more time to, to take things in, to digest what we saw, to maybe check out a couple of plays a few more times. But, Sean, let's open things up. What are your general thoughts on this Bucks defense um, You know, before we really dive in?
0: Well, the hard thing is not to overreact from week to week in the National Football League. It's a 17-game season. Uh, it's so easy to get too high too early or too low too early and forget that most franchises break the season up into quarters and the Bucs went two and two through. a, if you looked at it before the season, a very difficult stretch of games. Like they haven't really played any Patsies. They hadn't gotten the Texans or the bears or, you know, one of these teams that, you know, they should be. So when you think about it, big picture at the end of this, two and two through this stretch, probably is not going to look that bad. Having said that, they got their ass kicked last night. Let's be honest. I mean, it's national TV. Obviously, the Chiefs had a greater sense of urgency. Uh, They played with, and this was extremely surprising to me, a much more consistent level of physicality than the Bucs did. I could have understood Mahomes throwing it deep and you know, guy jumping over a a DB's head for a contested catcher. But they just lined up and knocked the Bucks front seven around. Uh, they forced Levante and Devin to get out of position multiple times in pass defense, where they could not secure the tackle after Kelsey and Shudu Smith Schuster and those guys made catches. So I, I think the Bucks staff got out coached. I think the Bucks team got taught a valuable lesson that uh, it's different when you're on top of the hill than when you're the person is climbing up the hill. And so with their success and with the amount of attention that they get, you know, teams are gunning for them. And uh, they're going to have to, you know, raise their level of intensity and attention to detail, you know, if they want to have success. So I'm not overreacting, but you have to call a spade a spade. And and, and yesterday was, was not fun if you were a fan of the Bucks organization.
2: Yeah, and the one word you mentioned was intensity, and that's what I really realized uh, very early on in that game last night. That I, I mentioned it on on the post game show that we did last night after the game. It just it seemed like the Chiefs just wanted it more. It seemed like they were hungry to go out there and make a statement, and the Bucks just weren't ready for that. And you know we don't want to you know make excuses, but the Bucks had a tough week um you know having to evacuate to miami uh, having to worry about you know their their homes or having to evacuate their, their pets their families you know it's a tough week there's there's distractions involved um but it just seemed like Kansas City was the more focused team. And they were out there to, like I said, try and make a statement to not just the Bucs, but to the NFL. It, it was clear that Kansas City hadn't forgotten about Super Bowl 55. And they wanted to get, you know, their quote unquote revenge against the Bucs there. And, and they did just that. They they really took a toll.
0: And guys they, had, guys, they had an inconvenient week. Yeah. A tough week was people that were in Fort Myers, Sanibel Island. Yeah, absolutely. They came back to nothing. Yeah, You know, Coach Dungy used to have, like, this sign that said, no excuses, no explanations. And, you know, so I'm not going to give them a crutch to lean on. I'm sure Todd and company don't want a crutch to lean on. And, and I think they're going to be better for what happened to them on Monday night.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I especially on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Um, well, offensively, they stuck it up, too. Let's not sugarcoat it. This is the first time that – and see, I always look at things – based on how they happened, not at the end of the day, what happened. Mm -hmm. And so if you just look at the raw data, same amount of first downs for both offenses, roughly the same amount of total yardage. But this was the first time where Tom was under duress almost the entire game. We had no answer for the Chiefs' blitz packages.
2: Yeah, they were blitzing a lot, though.
0: They were blitzing a lot. They were getting a lot of pressure on him. It looked like our game plan was to push the ball vertically down the field. They weren't going to let that happen. You know, we never really adjusted and went to more of a a, a, a a short passing game until the game was out of hand. so, you know, when being honest, like, we didn't do a whole lot of offense either, especially in the first half. And that's been like a consistent, reoccurring problem.
1: Well, yeah. and, and, and not to beat a dead horse here, but, you know, you talk about the intensity for Kansas City and them coming out of the gate, basically just wanting it more. I mean – How much more deflating of a start can you have than to cough up the ball in the first six seconds of the game and basically spot Kansas City a touchdown? You're playing from behind against one of the best offenses in the AFC, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, we know what Pat Mahomes is. We know he's going to find a way, and he certainly did that. But when we look over at this Buccaneers defense and just the amount of yards they gave up, I want to look at the run defense because they did kind of get a break this week as we look ahead to their week two opponent against it, or I'm sorry, their week five opponent against Atlanta season is actually flying by at this point, but quarter Patterson was placed on IR. So he's going to miss the next four games. He's a top five rusher in the NFL. And last night on primetime television, Kansas city put up damn near 200 yards rushing. And that's not even including their running or their quarterback in there as well. So, I mean, this box defense it's hard to say they got exposed because there's always going to be an outlier game. And for Tampa Bay moving forward, they hope that this is it, but I don't know. I just, I, I feel like there's a lot more questions with this defense and how consistent they're going to be moving forward.
0: Yeah. I think we'll find a lot of that, you know, next week. Cause next week's going to be challenging. Uh, Arthur Smith has done a really good job with the scheme in Atlanta. I mean, they're utilizing Mariota in the run game. Like they're putting your run fits in a pickle. Uh, not having Patterson, I mean, that's a substantial loss. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to have a legacy as a great defense, you got to prove it every week. So this will be another opportunity for them to, you know, create a, a new part of the 2022 resume. I, I will say this defensively. One of my concerns before the season, guys, and I think we mentioned that on one of the podcasts, was when you lose a Jason Pierre Paul and Dominican Sue. No matter where you think those guys are in their career, they're veteran guys that consume a lot of snaps, and the snaps that they get are pretty are executed at a pretty high level. And uh, I think Vitavea has stepped into that role of playing more snaps extremely well, but Joe Tryon is struggling. I mean, for a guy that was drafted in the first round who's kind of, you know, supposed to be showing some flashes, and I know it's still early, but I mean, through four games, what was he yeah, have four tackles? I think, and a half a sack. Uh, pretty non-existent last night, almost invisible. So some of those young guys, you know, it, it, it's a it's a huge, you know, transition from playing you know fifteen snaps a game to playing sixty plus.
2: Yeah, and I think for a lot of, especially young pass rushers, um, I think pass rusher can be one of those positions that it takes a little bit of time, uh, and and. Jocelyn it did well in a limited role last year. He wasn't a full-time starter, uh, and I'm I'm still when I mentioned this last night. I'm I'm still not hitting the panic button on him yet. I, I like the the skill set. Um, this is his first year, you know, being a starter. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm willing to give him a little bit more time to develop. You know, his craft. I think he's got a lot of potential. Um, and I, I, but I'll tell you what, if the Bucks' run defense doesn't clean it up, it doesn't matter that the Falcons will be missing Cordero Patterson because Tyler Alligator, who um, was a, a rookie for the Falcons, he had, 10 rush, yeah, he had 10 rushes for 84 yards last week against Cleveland. So he's a good player. Like, yeah, Cordero Patterson is a loss, and he does a lot for that Atlanta offense. And we'll get into that later in the week, but. That doesn't mean that just, okay, you know, the run defense will be fine. Like, no, this run defense needs to be better. And the entire season, it really hasn't been that great. But versus Kansas City, it just seemed like Kansas City was getting eight, seven yards a pop every single time. And it was, I, I mentioned this last night, the reason Kansas City was so good on third down was because they were in third and one, third and two every single time consistently. If, if offense like Kansas City, you're just not gonna be able to, to get that type of you know production from your defense if Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes are facing third and one, third and two, which is it's not gonna work.
0: Hey, even the dog was disgusted at the defensive performance last yeah. night. Against the <laughs> <ring>. <laughs> but I'll say this the other thing about that guys is when you put that on film not everybody going to make you prove that that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, when they put that film on and they see you getting pushed around and, you know, every time Pacheco and clients and were ran the ball, they fell forward. I mean, they were getting yards after mm-hmm. the contact. Like that's the attitude and energy that you're going to get moving forward until you show something different. So, you know, um, we'll see Atlanta's better than I anticipated this year. I thought they would be a dumpster fire, but I mean, they've been extremely competitive. Uh what are they 3 what are they 3 and 1
2: 2 and 2? Two? Two, 2 and 2. 2 and 2. Both, so both teams are 2 and 2. And Basically,
0: they could very easily be 3 and 2 cuz they should have won
1: the Saints game. Yep. Yeah. Basically whoever wins the game next week takes the lead in the division if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, whoever whoever wins will, will take the lead, yeah. Yeah, so
1: Just like we drew it up, a week five battle for the (laughs) NFC South between the Atlanta Falcons led by Marcus Mariota and uh, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers still trying to figure it out on both sides of the ball here. We've talked a lot about the defense, the run defense a little bit as well. And you mentioned the big man playing in the middle of the line. That's Vita Vea. It is no secret at all that, you know, the 350 pounder is a lot of what holds it holds this defensive line together we spoke to the lack of pressure in the first half against Kansas City on Sunday night, but, I mean, aside from the sack week one, it kind of feels like we haven't seen the dominant Vita Vea that we have seen these past couple of years. And, yeah, maybe maybe the supporting cast around him has a lot to do with that as well, but do you think he's in a position where he needs to step it up or do you think he just needs more help?
0: No, I think Vita Vea's impact can't always be measured statistically. Mm-hmm. You know, his job is to command two of those guys on the interior of the offensive line, so that the ends can get one-on-one matchups. You know, that's that's what his job is. He collapses the pocket. You know, he kind of solidifies the 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 interior of your you know structure defensively, and I think he's doing a good job at that. Now, again, he's a guy that's playing more snaps than he has. So at that size, I don't mean, okay, care what kind of athlete you are. You know, if you you get you, your 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 production and your production is going to slide generally. If your snap count goes up, you know, 20, 25 snaps a game. That's just, in my opinion, what happens. Cause he gets tired, but I think the guys did a terrible job of tackling in space. And I think they did not play with the right kind of physicality at the point of contact, like that line of scrimmage moved in the chief's favor on almost every run.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, Moving over to to the offensive side of the ball, um, because I, despite you know you didn't think the offense was too good, they they still had this you know most success that they've had this season you know they finally scored a first half touchdown which was something that was <laughs> mind boggling that they couldn't even do that in the first three games but um and obviously you mentioned you know brady under duress with a lot of the the, the chiefs blitzes and steve spagnolo the the chiefs defensive coordinator is notorious for blitzing brady it, he does it a lot and um the Bucs sometimes picked it up but a lot of the times they didn't and uh luke getticky struggled in the interior with a tough assignment against chris jones but But, uh, you know, as as a quarterback, uh, you know, as as a guy who played quarterback in the NFL, when you're watching Brady, um, I thought he played well for the pressure. But what does consistent pressure do to a quarterback during the the course of a game?
0: Well, most defensive coordinators are afraid to blitz Brady because of his intellect. Mm -hmm. And they just think that, you know, he'll dissect it, identify it and burn us spagnola looks at it as what is brady's only significant deficiency he's immobile Mm -hmm. so if i can make him get off the spot if i can make him have to throw on the run if i can get a lot of guys consistently around his body then hopefully you know that that makes him miss a couple throws he wouldn't miss you know maybe that gets him frustrated you know and, and that's the approach spagnola takes and you know, I think it's a smart approach, specifically because of the injuries the Bucks have endured on the offensive line. Cause no matter how smart the quarterback is, when he's communicating pass protection adjustments, they still have to be executed by the front five. And when those with those three interior guys being inexperienced, uh kind of not necessarily being together for a long period of time, there are probably some mistakes made. And when you're unsure mentally, the first thing that happens is you become passive. If I don't know if I got the three tech or the end, if they twist, if the linebacker shoots the A gap, I mean, are we moving to the field blitz? Are we moving to the boundary? And, and now a little hesitation occurs. And, you know, when you're not the most talented, you're not the most experienced, you know, now now that pressure gets magnified. So I think the Bucks are going to see more of that as the season goes on while people try and test. You know, that offensive line and just see, can they hold up? But, I mean, it worked. Um, I thought the one thing that, that I wish Byron, you know, w- would just commit to is no matter what happens on the scoreboard, continue to run the ball. Because the best thing to gate pressure in the passing game is running the football. You know, when those guys got to, you know, anchor down and, you know, play run defense and be in the right run fit, they can't get vertical all the time on the snap. So uh, I wish we had, a, I think at, at where we end up with six rushing attempts in the whole game, where yeah, we have like yeah, yeah, it, yeah three a half or something, three for
1: Leonard, three for Leonard Fournette, which didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I think he got negative yardage on the evening. And then Rashad white came in also got three between both of those guys. There was a hundred yards receiving at the running right. back position, which was a welcome sight when the bucks were kind of in hurry up mode. But yeah, six rushing attempts for three, Total yards, just abysmal.
0: And how many of those were on the goal line? I think like four of those were like because Rashad got like I think Rashad two, got two on the two, one two, where he scored, yeah. and I think Leonard had one earlier. Well, I know so for I mean,
1: sure. I, I think all of his were on first down. Mm-hmm. I think if he got one at the goal line, it must have been on like a first and goal, maybe a. Well, second the one he goal, scored,
0: but... the one he scored was from the goal line.
2: Yeah or the,
0: the the Rashad yeah, remember he yeah, jumped yeah. over the pile yeah, yeah.
2: so uh, first but sure. that,
0: that is what. That is probably one thing uh, Byron probably needs to have somebody just like tug his his belt loop every now and then because he's a former quarterback. You know, the way the quarterback mind works is they've got deficiencies in the secondary that we can attack. They have a rookie, Jalen Watson. We can go with him, you know. But time of possession comes into play when you're throwing it that much. Defense is on the field a lot more. So I just, I feel like balance is the best way to proceed. And sometimes you forget. I mean, yeah, you do, you forget.
2: Well, I mean, you know, to, to me, it's just, you you would like balance, but I also think the buck strength is, is the passing game, right? I think that's what this offense is built on. Um, but also, you know, sometimes the, the score just doesn't, doesn't allow for that. And that's, you know, I do think they should have ran it more than six well, times. Um, but like just sometimes they're, just, they're, they're they're down the entire game. They're 46 seconds in or they're down. But the thing the thing with
1: the score, you mentioned they were down the entire game. They were playing catch up. They had to dig themselves out of a hole. But if you take that away, and listen, I don't like to sit here and be the what if guy, but if you take that away, this is a three-point game at the end of the day. And we're, we're talking about this through a much different lens is to, you know, look how much more competitive this game felt because we talked about it on the post game last night. It didn't even felt like they lost by 10 to Kansas city felt like they lost by 25, you know, the way that they played the costly mistakes that they had exactly when they didn't need them. But like offensively, I'm still not super upset. I mean, yeah, you don't really want Brady throwing the ball 52 times every single week. But they were effective when they needed to be. And, I mean, aside from that mistake and then obviously the Brady fumble, you can't get those back. But it, it's hard to sit here and say that the offense wasn't competitive, in my in my opinion.
0: Well, yeah, and no, I'm definitely not saying they weren't competitive. I'm just saying I think for them to win a championship, they're going to have to have balance. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look around the National Football League right now, the teams that are really pass-heavy have mobile quarterbacks. Like, that can, when things aren't perfect in protection, you know, when when things don't develop initially from a scheme standpoint, like Josh Allen, Herbert, the, those guys can move around, extend the play. It's the way of the future. Two, three, right. Pick up two, three first downs with their feet. You know, they can hide a lot of deficiencies in pass protection. Whereas, as great as Tom is, you know, and he's older now, guys, he's not, 44 year old Tom, you know, he's 45 year old Tom. And you know, the one thing about getting old, it don't give you like an expiration date. You know, you go in the, in the fridge and the milk carton specifically says, okay, October 16th, 2022, like the, the old thing just kind of, you know, you get out of the bed one day, that back hurt when it didn't <laughs> used to hurt. You, know? you put the cleats on, and, you know, the bottom of those feet start feeling a little funny. So I think, um, uh, for the Bucks, the way this roster is constructed, because the play action, to me, is where the explosive plays can come. Because yeah. they have not just dynamic guys on the outside, but they have big guys on the outside. Julio Jones, Mike Evans, those are big guys. But the play action works better when you actually attempt to run the ball.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and, and and you're right about the pass rush thing. Kansas City was blitzing so much because they knew the Bucks were in passing situations and they knew that the the Bucks they could just tee off. You know that's and, and that's not putting your your offense in in a great spot, but um I also understand why they threw it so much because you know looking at the score like you know you, you kind of had to at some point.
1: Now, looking at the topic of pass protect as well, the tight ends are going to play a role. Your running back. Picking stuff up is going to play a role. But we got a question here from uh, our friends over at Bucks UK. Shout out to those guys. This is an interesting question. You kind of mentioned the roster, and I know the importance of execution from your tight ends, from your blockers, your offensive linemen, your front five. And the Bucks are still using some spare parts there. Uh, they ask this. Do we need to sign a veteran offensive lineman either now or before the end of the season? I I know that, you know, pickings are slim, so it's not like the Bucks are gonna go out there and get a bona fide starter that's gonna take anyone's spot on this line, but maybe from a depth position, uh, do you think there's gonna be any need to sign a an no lineman anytime soon?
2: I I, I personally um don't just because maybe on the interior uh, i think the tackles brandon walton should be enough um to be at least serviceable in in a pinch donovan uh, smith was was playing
1: at the level we kind of expected him to yeah. last night i thought yeah. he had you know didn't hear his name a bunch
2: yeah and, and and we haven't seen smith uh since week 1 so i'm willing to give this offensive line another week or two and see how it looks when it's at full strength you know for what full strength is for for this team but um yeah, I, like I said, I think Brandon Walton is serviceable, you know, j- just like Sean mentioned, you know, last week about how, you know, backups are are good in, you know, little increments, right? Not not in the, the long term, but like Brandon Walton can step in and play a, a few solid snaps for you. Josh Wallace can step in and play a few solid snaps for you. It's just when you have to two, three, four weeks, that's when you run into trouble, Um but like, so I'm fine with the tackle depth, I, and, and also like, yeah, just like you mentioned, Brett, like those guys that are on the street right now, they're on the street for a reason. Like,
0: hey, trust me, guys, there's probably three teams out of thirty-two that go to bed at night like we straight on the offensive yeah, line. Yeah, so, every
2: every every team, every team twenty-nine offensive other
0: offensive line, line coaches like, man, if I just had two more guys, so if they were out there, they would be on a team. So. Yeah. I mean, unless they got a CFL player or something that, that had a great season and just not going for a great cup. I mean, those guys just aren't there. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I could see bringing some bodies in maybe from a practice standpoint, if you're trying to take some reps off of some guys, if your numbers get low. But, I mean, with what happened to the Bucks, I always knew that this was going to be an interesting experiment at that particular position because, I mean – The Marpet retirement was like all of a sudden it wasn't something that they could plan for. It kind of just happened. So he's a pro bowl guard. Mm -hmm. You lose Kappa in free agency, which you prepared for that because you had already made the decision. You knew what the market was uh, based on where we're at roster management. wise, salary cap wise? Can we pay what he's going to get on the market? Obviously the answer was no. So you had two big weaknesses then all of a sudden, you go through all the offseason, you get in the training camp, and you unexpectedly lose Jensen. Mm-hmm. So they're just not a whole lot. Of, like, if, if all those moves happen before the draft, then maybe you can approach the draft in a different way and, and say this is a major situation that we have to get, you know, fixed with all three spots. But with the way, you know, you know that positions, like, absentees, like, unfolded. I mean, what can you do? Yeah. I, I mean, we're talking about pro bowl caliber players. So we're not just talking about some guys. So there was going to be a drop off with whoever was actually starting, which means now there's even more significant drop off where whoever would be backing up the guys that are starting.
2: Yeah. And I think the one that hurts the most is Jensen because that was the one absolute the whole time. Um, they traded for Shaq Mason to replace Alex Kappa. Uh, so that was the, their their plan there. And then they drafted Luke Gedekie, you know, to maybe not be a starter, uh, but to at least compete and see what he can do. Jensen was the one that threw everything off. Uh, Jensen being injured really hurt. It's, on the second day of training camp, basically out for the season, um, that's the one that really hurt this team because the, the center is the only other guy, other than the quarterback, who's going to touch the ball on every single play. You know, on every single play. So the center is basically the quarterback of the offensive line and losing your starting center, who, like you said, is not just an average starting center is a really, really good starting center, Uh, probably a top three starting center in the NFL. That hurts, and I, I think that was the one that kind of threw a lot of this offensive line in flux, uh, because losing your centerpiece like that is definitely something that's going to change the way your offensive line plays and just the tone of your offensive line. You spoke about the physicality earlier than the intensity. Physicality and intensity are two things that Ryan Jensen brings every single game. Uh, that was never an issue, and, and I think the Bucks right now along both lines, the defensive line and offensive line, are kind of kind of missing that right now. And I think they're, they're feeling the effects of not having a, a guy like Ndamukong Sue on the defensive line and then not having a guy like Ryan Jensen available on the offensive line.
0: And, and then look at it like this. I guess my last point the offensive line, if you're going to give them a grade for the year, remember we're just in the first couple chapters, mm-hmm. couple questions on the test. So the hope is that by the time we get to week, 13, 14, we make that last run, guys like Luke key Shaq Mason, those guys, they're a cohesive unit now, and they're all on the same page, and we're getting ready to be whatever their best is, we're going to get ready to get it down the last stretch. That would be my hope.
1: Mm-hmm. Before we get to our next question here, let's talk about the tight end room, because we had talked about the first few weeks of the season, uh, just the lack of production, you know, the, the drop-off from – a first ballot Hall of Famer and Rob Gronkowski to anyone else trying to fill those shoes is going to be felt, but not only do you have Cam Bray, you lose OJ Howard, you bring in a couple of rookie tight ends. K Dotton co-keeft. K Dotton missed last week's game against Green Bay. Um, Kyle Rudolph made his debut. I don't know why I blanked on his name for a minute. Kyle Rudolph made his debut, had one catch and dipped. We didn't see him again week four, but, I felt like Kate Otten coming back. Listen, I don't want to get over dramatic here, but I felt like Kate Otten coming back certainly could have been appreciated because not only did we see a couple of catches for Cam Bright, Kate Otten had a snag for a first down, I believe. And uh, I know you saw that sideline circus catch. Oh, from, Keith, baby. Dude, the last person I thought was going to make that catch. Like when I saw that guy spinning around on the sideline, I don't know who I was expecting, but it wasn't number 41. Um, but what are your thoughts on this tight end room? And then uh, we got a fun question after this.
0: Well, first of all, Cole Keith gotta get out of that forty-one. That's a fullback. Oh back my pick, god. Dude. If you're gonna be a tight end, man, come <laughs> on, you gotta look the part, baby. Get in eighty something. Uh, <laughs> I think eighty-six I, <laughs> may be open. I think the organization uh transitioned away from the tight end position for this season. You know, you always look at where your allocation of resources is. That's a very inexpensive tight end room, right? Like you put all their salaries together and you know, it's not making any noise. They went out and got Julio Jones and Russell Gage. They paid Chris Godwin. So they were saying to me, based on what they actually did, that we're going to be wide receiver centric now that Rob Gronkowski is gone. So that was what, you know, I took from what they actually did as an organization is that in the red zone, we're going to utilize the size of Julio and Mike. And then we're going to, add Russell Gage on the inside to Chris Godwin and kind of get that middle of the field expertise and talent that Gronk gave us. Yeah.
2: Um, And then the, the interesting thing, is Cameron Braid actually left that game with a concussion? He's put in concussion protocol. So Kate Otten had three catches for 29 yards uh, last night. He might be the starting tight end. Uh, you know, he, he and Kyle Rudolph may be the guys that the Bucs look for against Atlanta if Cameron Braid can't go, especially with what's happening with Tua and everything right now at the NFL. I don't think the Bucs really want to take any chances. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Cameron Bright sit this one out, but I mean, you're right. Uh, they, they definitely, I think sort of changed, uh, Cameron Bright's making a, a good bit of money, but like, I don't think the Bucks were expecting Cameron Bright to suddenly be Rob Rankowski. And, uh, you're right about the, the depth at receiver that they added and what, what they they were planning to to do with that. And I, I think, the Bucs have gotten a little bit more out of their tight ends the last two weeks. The first two weeks, they were getting absolutely nothing in the receiving game out of those guys. Now they're getting a little bit more, and I think it's helping the offense. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's gonna be these receivers that are the ones that are you know driving the the, the bus here for this offense.
0: I yeah. thought Kate, I thought Kate actually looked good in the yeah. past mm-hmm. game. I haven't watched the run cut-ups. I, I, I didn't think he looked that bad. And, and let me just say this about the concussion thing. I mean, people get in this outrage, but what's the answer? Mm -hmm. Like, take Tua, for instance. Okay, what what are you going to say? What's what's the time frame? Because basically, I just think this is something that's going on to appease the fan base and the public, right? Because if Tua says he's ready to play, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a neurologist. Like, who's to say he's not? And if you say he hasn't missed a certain amount of time, when he comes back, he's still back in the car race. And the car race has car crashes. You know, it's like if you were in like a, a a serious car accident and you had head trauma and you went through rehabilitation and you worked your way all the way back. But then you got in another car crash and the impact was the same. Like, what happened? So, like, that's the thing with Cameron Bray, with Tour. When we talk about a guy had a concussion, why did they put him back in? okay, so what's the time period before you're comfortable with them going back in? And then when they go back in, football's a violent physical game, right? The collisions are going to reoccur, you know? So that's just the part about that that I don't really have an answer for. And I'm the kind of person, I'm not going to go protest in front of, you know, your office building unless I have like a a solution to what I'm protesting about. So, So what is the proper time when a person... You know, looks concussed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that the NFL is trying to figure out, honestly. Um, because they, they, a lot of times they, they don't seem to have answers for it. And, you know, the whole Tua situation, I think, is really bringing to light a lot of things that the NFL is going to be trying to do differently. So,
1: well, and it's something that eventually they're going to have to figure it out. Are we ever going to get a 100% of the answers? Probably not. I mean, with so much as, you know, technology and, and reading people's brain scans and things like that go, you know, we still got a long ways to go, but just like Evan had alluded to this whole Tua thing has really brought to light a lot of people who may not have cared about this before. And I know that none of those people are doctors and that's where it kind of gets to the point where you have to, you have to wade through all of the angry emotional takes on Twitter from people who have never watched or stepped foot on a football field before. But I do think the NFL is going to be more motivated this year than in years past to really just try and get as ahead of this thing as they can. And and for the next season, at least, it's just going to feel like this stuff is under a microscope because now, especially with things playing out, and then J.J. Watt coming out in the same week saying, hey, I had to get my heart sh- uh, shocked back into place so I could come out here and, you know, bang my head. um, It's just, it's been a wild week for medical takes around the NFL, but they... I mean, they, they are definitely motivated to get this thing taken care of more than they were, it seems, three, four years ago.
0: Yeah, and, and listen, football's a choice, you mm-hmm. know? That's why it's not for everybody. Like, when I coached, I was like, you know, people would come up to me, I want my son to play football. I was like, well, listen, people don't choose football. Football chooses people. Because when you get out there and you see it, okay, yeah, this is – yeah. People stepping on my feet. People hitting me these in the back. Are, these guys are hitting people each other. People hitting me in my head. Like yeah. that is part of the game. And I am super like sensitive to the long-term issues that can occur, you know, from consistently hitting each other. But again, let's just say Dolphins say Tua's out for a month. Tua comes back in week in five weeks from now and gets slammed to the ground in the third quarter and looks concussed again. Is it? He never plays again. Is he out for another month? You see what I'm saying? So it's that everybody, every situation is different. Mm -hmm. You know, how you respond and react, it's just like in any other kind of injury in any other part of life. Like, you know, some people can sprain their ankle and fight through it. You know, Paul Pierce, I think, sprained his ankle and they had to get a wheelchair, you know, to to get him off the court. So, I mean, like (laughs) – it's is, is different from person to person. Like, so I just, <laughs> there is no answer to it, to be honest. I mean, unless you're going to tell a, a guy if you get a concussion, you can't ever play again. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be the only fail proof solution. And that's not, to me, a viable solution to take somebody's, you know, ability to earn a living away. So, right. I mean, then it's up to the individual, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, I know what I'm risking, but. I got my heart restarted, but, I mean, it did, now it's up to the individual.
1: Yeah, there is there is definitely a certain threshold to consider as far as, like, you know, let's just bring up Aaron Donald, for example. I know he, has been, he hasn't been making all the same noise this season that he normally does, but he's still a dominant player in the NFL, one of the best defensive linemen of the modern era. Are you going to tell an Aaron Donald who is juiced up, ready to go in the locker room, that he's not going to be playing today because some guy on Twitter said he shouldn't be out there. Like I I do feel like that there is a certain level of self-responsibility that some of these players take on. And that just comes with the territory. And unfortunately, all of these people who are incredibly opinionated, like you're, you're not going to stop that guy from going out there. And like you said, earning his livelihood, like these guys are trying to pay their bills, take care of their family.
0: Hey, Evan, he talking about uh, Aaron Donald having a big game. 49er fans going to be all up in red DMs if he go out there and have a big game. say <laughs> so you woke him up.
1: <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch that game because, like, you know, San Francisco always kind of gets uh, gets the better of L.A. at some point in the season. I don't know if it's going to be beginning of the year, the end of the year, the playoffs, maybe if Jimmy G is able to play well enough to, you know, walk them into the playoffs. But, That'll be an interesting matchup. I, as I, well. I, I
0: know it's a Bucks podcast, but Jimmy G is a great example of timing. Just, yeah. just timing. Like he was the most popular person in all of San Francisco when Trey Lance was in Chicago in a monsoon, missing wide open guys. And then when he played that first game, I mean, and played good. I mean, all the Garoppolo support was extend him. This is we should have never the Trey and. Then he ran out the back of the end zone. You, boom!
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a week to week thing in the NFL. Ain't it? <laughs> you, yeah, you can be a hero one week and a oh, no the next.
0: <laughs> so we By got. Other, I, I tell people all the time the hardest thing about being a professional player in a league like the NFL is Monday through Saturday having to listen to people have an opinion about you. Especially right. when it's a negative one. Because right. like in basketball, baseball, you you got another game tomorrow. Yeah, You can erase that memory. You have a bad game in football now. Hey, it's six days before you play again most of the time.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. We got a few more questions here as we wrap things up. One more about the tight end room. We can keep this one brief because I'm going to be honest. This is a question that we're going to have to answer every uh, three or four weeks, it seems like. But our buddy Synergy underscore NL. What is Gronk coming back? We, we just talked a whole bunch about the tight end position, the blockers who are trying to fill the shoes of big number 87, but a lot of people still think it's a foregone conclusion. He is going to return to Tampa Bay at some point this season to chase another Super Bowl with Tom Brady. What do you think? Are, are, we, still in the, are we still in the thought process of like maybe there's a chance he comes back because I know that there's a lot of football left, but as time goes on, like I, I still have my doubts. I, I think he's done.
0: Well, the thing with Gronk is Gronk's a transcendent celebrity. Mm-hmm. So like within your sport, you want to become an all-star if it's basketball or baseball. You want to become a pro bowler if it's football. Next it's can I become an iconic player for a particular organization? Ring of honors, jersey retired. Thirdly is, can I be so good that I get into the Hall of Fame so they remember me forever? Yet, as many great players that are in the Hall of Fames, not very many of them extend outside of their particular sport. Gronk is transcendent. Like, Gronk's the kind of guy goes to Vegas, they put him on the marquee, Rob Gronkowski, hosting at Pure or Marquee, and, like, average people that don't watch football are like, I want to go hang out, party with him. He's a guy, when corporations are having meetings about what, big celebrity do we want to market our and uh, promote our brand Gronkowski's in those conversations. So because of that level of celebrity, he's never coming back guys because he can make more money outside of football than he would coming back to play football. Be- you know what I'm saying? So for him, I mean, his own field accomplishments, he's made pro bowls. He's going to be in the Patriots ring of honor, whatever they have there. He's going to be in the hall of fame. You know, so he's done everything you can do in football. I mean, it's on to the next for him. I mean, have you bought those shoes that he's promoting? I I have not. I (laughs) mean, mean, I've seen (laughs) them. Are they hideous? No, like, they look like the shoes you would wear with a suit if you don't want to wear dress shoes. Okay. Like, so, I mean, he's got a bunch of stuff going on. You know, I heard there's some kind of TV show or something coming. Like, so, Gronk living his best life.
1: Unfortunately, we got to... Sit through another season of those USAA commercials.
0: Those are the worst, man. I but think about think about a football player getting that commercial, right? Like he's a A list celebrity. Like you know what I'm saying? Like he's. I mean, you.
1: I feel like you've seen some other guys. Most of them Hall of Famers, but like I think about you know Nick Saban and the aflac commercials. I know that's not quite NFL, but another guy who maybe has some other ventures waiting for him after he, you know, retires, which I don't think he ever will
0: save is the most recognizable college football coach in history.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: But does he have,
1: (laughs) I mean, does he have a friendly enough face to to put on like Pepsi bottles like Gronk
0: does because, but that's why they got Dion next to him. Yeah, that is true. You know, I was, I was standing there. We'll wrap up with
1: this. I, I was standing in line at the gas station the other day, and there was a, a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos, and Deion Sanders, a, a player who has not touched the field in a good while, is right there, Dallas uniform and all. I, I don't know why, but like there are those guys that definitely stand the test of time. I remember there was a time where you could get Peyton Manning-themed Gatorade, like his last few years in uh, in Denver. There are some guys... Peyton is definitely one of them in a bunch of insurance commercials, but uh, Rob Gronkowski certainly achieved that next level celebrity status. We're going to ask you the same question again in three weeks. So I know you just told, I just, I I know you just told everybody he's not coming back. We're going to have another mailbag question here in three or four weeks. Somebody else is going to ask, Hey, you know, the tight ends aren't averaging 110 yards a game. Should we consider
0: bringing in Rob Gronkowski? And listen, I'm going to say this for all of the Bucks fans out there. You guys better enjoy Tom because the chances of Tom coming back next year are probably zero. So, like, it, it doesn't feel like this is Tom's last year. You know, sometimes when you get used to something, which the fan base is now, you know, used to having a seven-time Super Bowl champ, three-time MVP as their quarterback, the light at the end of that tunnel is pretty bright. So we better enjoy every moment we get with Tom Terrific, galvanized. I mean, he went to the cemetery and dug the Bucks franchise up out of the ground because, man, <laughs> we, were, we were in the casket. <laughs> like, we were done. We were left for dead, and he brought us back. So I just like to say, you know, uh, publicly and give him his flowers while he's still our quarterback because, man, can you think about us without Tom?
2: It'd <laughs> be a lot different. Um, and we're
0: gonna be too good to get Bryce or CJ or right. you know even Will Levis. So I mean, I guess Blaine Gabbert. Here we go. Hey,
1: <laughs> hey, I'm I'm on Team Minshew, man. I don't know if you've looked at the list of free agent quarterbacks, we'll but Gardner Minshew. It, listen, you look back at the stats, you check out the box scores, you look at the film, I, and you was, tell me You, you uh, tell me a time that Gardner Minshew stepped in a game and just absolutely floundered for a team.
0: I, I'm a big Gardner Minshew fan. Anybody that sleeps in a trailer adjacent to their yeah. workout in the offseason, I've actually met him a couple times. He's a, he's a cool dude, too. But, I mean, I don't wish him coming here following Brady. I mean, that's it's, –
1: It's heavy expectations, yeah. but, listen, if you need a franchise guy – who can, who can Brand play franchise guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Stop. That's your equivalent sure, of uncle I'm Rico. Watching.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, I, I think he's got, he's got something that you want to see him get an opportunity. I mean, he was pretty above, well, slightly above average at Jacksonville. You know, when he got the chance to play, and he wasn't really surrounded by supporting cast. So I see why red likes him, but I'm with you, Evan. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that puts franchise on something until I've seen it be franchise-ish. Well, that's fair.
1: But I'm telling you, this time next year, Minshew Mania is going to be running wild in Tampa Bay. Uh, You
0: got to get your mustache like his.
1: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, with all of that being said, that's just about going to do it for this week's episode of the Cannon Fire podcast with Sean King. Thank you so much for your time today. Where can people check out uh, your content and follow you on social media?
0: I'm on Twitter at Real Sean King. I'm on Instagram at Coach Sean King. More importantly, I have a television show filmed out here in the great city of Las Vegas on the V-S-I-N network. That's V-S-I-N. You can catch that on YouTube television. It's on Fubo. It's on Hulu. Also, you can download the V-S-I-N app and listen for free. Or for a small subscription, you can watch my beautiful face from 3 to 6 Pacific, Monday through Friday.
1: Check out our podcast on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Best place to go for updates on the show. And, of course, Tampa Bay Buccaneer news as it happens. Speaking of Bucks news as it happens, you can follow my co-host Evan on Instagram at bucks underscore daily, the number one Bucks fan page on Instagram. You can also find him on Twitter at EvanNFL and check out his written work at BucsNation.com. You had a pretty interesting article drop today, no?
2: Uh, no, 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 not yet.
1: No, oh uh, okay I, I still, it, still, don't still let me don't the, let me
2: give anything away uh yeah no, not 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 yet but okay if, if you're well if you're talking about the one that i think you're talking about that dropped on friday so oh okay
1: so it dropped before <laughs> the game then.
2: yeah we'll, we'll tell people what they can read since we don't have to keep it a secret yeah you, you can read uh just my opinion on whether or not the buccaneers and Again, this could be something that just like the Gronkowski thing, you could probably ask yourself again in about two or three weeks, but uh, on whether or not the Buccaneers should consider uh, adding Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, to their roster. So I just I, I take a look at that and uh, you know some of the pros and cons of, of potentially signing him. So just check that out on BucksNation.com.
1: Last but not least, you can find myself Instagram and Twitter at Redicus. r h e t t a k u s. If you follow me, I will follow you back. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for checking out this week's podcast. We will talk to you on Friday for the week five game previews. We take a look at uh, this week's contest between the Bucks and the Marcus Mariota-led Atlanta Falcons. Should be a good one. The winner takes the South, just like we all drew it up. I'm your host, Rhett Matthews, signing off for my co-host, Evan Wanish and Sean King. We will talk to you in the next one. Until then, and as always, go Bucks!